We can remember it for you wholesale. By Philip K. Dick. Part 2. On the way home in the cab, Quayle pondered the wording of his letter of complaint to the Better Business Bureau, Terra Division. As soon as he could get to his typewriter, he'd get started. It was clearly his duty to warn other people away from Recall Incorporated. When he got back to his conapt, he seated himself before his Hermes rocket portable, opened the drawers and rummaged for carbon paper, and noticed a small, familiar box. A box which he had carefully filled on Mars with Martian fauna and later smuggled through customs. Opening the box, he saw, to his disbelief, six dead maw worms and several varieties of the unicellular life on which the Martian worms fed. The protozoa were dried up, dusty, but he recognized them. It had taken him an entire day picking among the vast, dark alien boulders to find them. A wonderful, illuminated journey of discovery. But I didn't go to Mars, he realized. Yet, on the other hand... Kirsten appeared at the doorway to the room, an armload of pale brown groceries gripped. Why are you home in the middle of the day? Her voice, in an eternity of sameness, was accusing. Did I go to Mars? He asked her. You would know. No, of course you didn't go to Mars. You would know that, I would think. Aren't you always bleating about going? He said, By God, I think I went. After a pause, he added, And simultaneously... I think I didn't go. Make up your mind. How can I? He gestured. I have both memory tracks grafted inside my head. One is real and one isn't. But I can't tell which is which. Why can't I rely on you? They haven't tinkered with you. She could do this much for him at least, even if she never did anything else. Kirsten said in a level, controlled voice, Doug, if you don't pull yourself together, we're through. I'm going to leave you. I'm in trouble. His voice came out husky and coarse and shaking. Probably I'm heading into a psychotic episode. I hope not, but maybe that's it. It would explain everything, anyhow. Setting down the bag of groceries, Kirsten stalked to the closet. I was not kidding she said to him quietly. She brought out a coat, got it on, walked back to the door of the conapt. I'll phone you one of these days soon, she said tonelessly. This is goodbye, Doug. I hope you pull out of this eventually. I really pray you do, for your sake. Wait, he said desperately. Just tell me and make it absolute. I did go or I didn't. Tell me which one. But they may have altered your memory track also, he realized. The door closed. His wife had left. Finally. A voice behind him said, Well, that's that. Now put up your hands, Quail, and also please turn around and face this way. 
he turned instinctively without raising his hands. The man who faced him wore the plum uniform of the Interplan Police Agency, and his gun appeared to be UN issue. And for some odd reason, he seemed familiar to Quail. Familiar, in a blurred, distorted fashion which he could not pin down. So, jerkily, he raised his hands. You remember, the policeman said, your trip to Mars. We know all your actions today and all your thoughts, in particular your very important thoughts on the trip home from Recall Incorporated. He explained, we have a teletransmitter wired within your skull. It keeps us constantly informed. A telepathic transmitter. Use of a living plasma that had been discovered on Luna. He shuddered with self-aversion. The thing lived inside him, within his own brain, feeding, listening, feeding. But the Interplan police used them. That had come out even in the homeopapes. So this was probably true, dismal as it was. Why me? Quail said huskily. What had he done? Or thought? And what did this have to do with Recall Incorporated? Fundamentally, the Interplan cop said, this has nothing to do with Recall. It's between you and us. He tapped his right ear. I'm still picking up your mentational processes by way of your cephalic transmitter. In the man's ear, Quail saw a small white plastic plug. So I have to warn you. Anything you think may be held against you, he smiled. Not that it matters now. You've already thought and spoken yourself into oblivion. What's annoying is the fact that under Narcadrine at Recall Incorporated, you told them, their technicians, and the owner, Mr. McLean, about your trip. Where you went, for whom, some of what you did. They're very frightened. They wish they had never laid eyes on you, he added reflectively. They're right. Quayle said, I never made any trip. It's a false memory chain improperly planted in me by McLean technicians. But then he thought of the box in his desk drawer containing the Martian life forms and the trouble and hardship he had had gathering them. The memory seemed real. And the box of life forms... That certainly was real, unless McLean had planted it. Perhaps this was one of the proofs which McLean had talked glibly about. The memory of my trip to Mars, he thought, doesn't convince me. But unfortunately, it has convinced the Interplan Police Agency. They think I really went to Mars, and they think I at least partially realize it. We not only know you went to Mars, the Interplan cop agreed, in answer to his thoughts, but we know that you now remember enough to be difficult for us. And there's no use expunging your conscious memory of all this, because if we do, you'll simply show up at Recall Incorporated again and start over, and we can't do anything about McLean and his operation because we have no jurisdiction over anyone except our own people. Anyhow, McLean hasn't committed any crime, he eyed Quail, nor technically have you. 
You didn't go to Recall Incorporated with the idea of regaining your memory. You went, as we realize, for the usual reason people go there, a love by plain, dull people for adventure. He added, Unfortunately, you're not plain, not dull, and you've already had too much excitement. The last thing in the universe you needed was a course from Recall Incorporated. Nothing could have been more lethal for you or for us, and for that matter, for McLean. Quail said, Why is it difficult for you if I remember my trip, my alleged trip, and what I did there? Because, the Interplan Harness Bull said, what you did is not in accord with our great, white, all-protecting father public image. You did for us what we never do, as you'll presently remember, thanks to Narcadrine. That box of dead worms and algae has been sitting in your desk drawer for six months, ever since you got back, and at no time have you shown the slightest curiosity about it. We didn't even know you had it until you remembered it on your way home from recall. Then we came here on the double to look for it. He added unnecessarily, without any luck, there wasn't enough time. A second interplan cop joined the first one. The two briefly conferred. Meanwhile, Quail thought rapidly. He did remember more now. The cop had been right about Narcadrine. They, Interplan, probably used it themselves. Probably? He knew darn well they did. He had seen them putting a prisoner on it. Where would that be? Somewhere on Terra? More likely on Luna, he decided, viewing the image rising from his highly defective but rapidly less so memory. And he remembered something else their reason for sending him to Mars, the job he had done. No wonder they had expunged his memory. Oh, God, the first of the two Interplan cops said, breaking off his conversation with his companion. Obviously, he had picked up Quail's thoughts. Well, this is a far worse problem now, as bad as it can get. He walked toward Quail, again covering him with his gun. We've got to kill you, he said, and right away. Nervously, his fellow officers said, Why right away? Can't we simply cart him off to Interplan New York and let them? He knows why it has to be right away, the first cop said. He too looked nervous now. But Quail realized that it was for an entirely different reason. His memory had been brought back almost entirely now, and he fully understood the officer's tension. On Mars, Quail said hoarsely, I killed a man. After getting past fifteen bodyguards, some armed with sneaky Pete guns the way you are, he had been trained by Interplan over a five-year period to be an assassin. A professional killer. He knew ways to take out armed adversaries, such as these two officers, and the one with the ear receiver knew it too. If he moved swiftly enough... The gun fired, but he had already moved to one side, and at the same time he chopped down the gun-carrying officer. 
In an instant he had possession of the gun and was covering the other confused officer. Picked my thoughts up, Quayle said, panting for breath. He knew what I was going to do, but I did it anyhow. Half sitting up, the injured officer grated. He won't use that gun on you, Sam. I picked that up, too. He knows he's finished, and he knows we know it, too. Come on, Quail. Laboriously, grunting with pain, he got shakily to his feet. He held out his hand. The gun, he said to Quail. You can't use it. And if you turn it over to me, I'll guarantee not to kill you. You'll be given a hearing, and someone higher up in Interplan will decide, not me. Maybe they can erase your memory once more, I don't know. But you know the thing I was going to kill you for. I couldn't keep you from remembering it. So my reason for wanting to kill you is, in a sense, past. Quail, clutching the gun, bolted from the Conapt, sprinted for the elevator. If you follow me, he thought, I'll kill you, so don't. He jabbed at the elevator button, and a moment later the door slid back. The police hadn't followed him. Obviously they had picked up his terse, tense thoughts, and had decided not to take the chance. With him inside, the elevator descended. He had gotten away, for a time. But what next? Where could he go? The elevator reached the ground floor. A moment later, Quayle had joined the mob of peds hurrying along the runnels. His head ached, and he felt sick. But at least he had evaded death. They had come very close to shooting him on the spot, back in his own conept. And they probably will again, he decided, when they find me. And with this transmitter inside me, that won't take too long. Ironically, he had gotten exactly what he had asked Recall Incorporated for. Adventure, peril, interplan police at work, a secret and dangerous trip to Mars in which his life was at stake, everything he had wanted as a false memory. The advantages of it being a memory, and nothing more, could now be appreciated. On a park bench, alone, he sat dully watching a flock of perts, a semi-bird imported from Mars two moons, capable of soaring flight, even against Earth's huge gravity. Maybe I can find my way back to Mars, he pondered. But then what? It would be worse on Mars. The political organization whose leader he had assassinated would spot him the moment he stepped from the ship. He would have Interplan and them after him there. Can you hear me thinking? He wondered. Easy avenue to paranoia. Sitting here alone, he felt them tuning in on him, monitoring, recording, discussing. He shivered, rose to his feet, walked aimlessly, his hands deep in his pockets. No matter where I go, he realized, you'll always be with me, as long as I have this device inside my head. I'll make a deal with you, he thought to himself and to them. Can you imprint a false memory template on me again, 
as you did before, that I lived an average, routine life, never went to Mars, never saw an interplan uniform up close, and never handled a gun. A voice inside his brain answered, As has been carefully explained to you, that would not be enough. Astonished, he halted. We formerly communicated with you in this manner, the voice continued, when you were operating in the field, on Mars. It's been months since we've done it. We assumed, in fact, that we'd never have to do so again. Where are you? Walking, Quail said. To my death. By your officer's guns, he added as an afterthought. How can you be sure it wouldn't be enough, he demanded. Don't the recall techniques work? As we said, if you're given a set of standard average memories, you get restless. You'd inevitably seek out recall or one of its competitors again. We can't go through this a second time. Suppose, Quayle said, once my authentic memories have been cancelled, something more vital than standard memories are implanted, something which would act to satisfy my craving, he said. That's been proved. That's probably why you initially hired me. But you ought to be able to come up with something else, something equal. I was the richest man on Terra, but I finally gave all my money to educational foundations. Or I was a famous deep space explorer. Anything of that sort. Wouldn't one of those do? Silence. Try it, he said desperately. Get some of your top-notch military psychiatrists. Explore my mind. Find out what my most expansive daydream is, he tried to think. Women, he said. Thousands of them, like Don Juan had. An interplanetary playboy, a mistress in every city on Earth, Luna and Mars. Only I gave that up, out of exhaustion. Please, he begged, try it. You'd voluntarily surrender, then? The voice inside his head asked. If we agreed to arrange such a solution, if it's possible? After an interval of hesitation, he said, Yes, I'll take the risk, he said to himself, that you don't simply kill me. You make the first move, the voice said presently. Turn yourself over to us, and we'll investigate that line of possibility. If we can't do it, however, if your authentic memories begin to crop up again, as they've done it this time, then... There was silence, and then the voice finished. We'll have to destroy you, as you must understand. Well, Quail, you still want to try? Yes, he said, because the alternative was death now, and for certain. At least this way he had a chance, slim as it was. You present yourself at our main barracks in New York, the voice of the Interplan cop resumed, at 585th Avenue, floor 12. Once you've surrendered yourself, we'll have our psychiatrist begin on you. We'll have personality profile tests made. We'll attempt to determine your absolute, ultimate fantasy wish. Then we'll bring you back to Recall Incorporated here. Get them in on it, 
fulfilling that wish in vicarious surrogate retrospection. And good luck. We do owe you something. You acted as a capable instrument for us. The voice lacked malice. If anything, they, the organization, felt sympathy toward him. Thanks, Quail said, and began searching for a robot cab. Mr. Quail, the stern-faced elderly interplan psychiatrist said, you possess a most interesting wish-fulfillment dream fantasy. Probably nothing such as you consciously entertain or suppose. This is commonly the way. I hope it won't upset you too much to hear about it. The senior-ranking Interplan officer present said briskly, He better not be too much upset to hear about it, not if he expects not to get shot. Unlike the fantasy of wanting to be an Interplan undercover agent, the psychiatrist continued, which, being relatively speaking a product of maturity, had a certain plausibility to it, this production is a grotesque dream of your childhood. It is no wonder you fail to recall it. Your fantasy is this. You are nine years old, walking alone down a rustic lane. An unfamiliar variety of space vessel from another star system lands directly in front of you. No one on Earth but you, Mr. Quail, sees it. The creatures within are very small and helpless, somewhat on the order of field mice, although they are attempting to invade Earth. Tens of thousands of other ships will soon be on their way when this advance party gives the go-ahead signal. And I suppose I stop them, Quail said, experiencing a mixture of amusement and disgust. Single-handed, I wipe them out, probably by stepping on them with my foot. No, the psychiatrist said patiently. You halt the invasion, but not by destroying them. Instead, you show them kindness and mercy, even though by telepathy, their mode of communication, you know why they have come. They have never seen such humane traits exhibited by any sentient organism, and to show their appreciation, they make a covenant with you. Quail said, they won't invade Earth as long as I'm alive? Exactly. To the Interplan officer, the psychiatrist said, You can see it does fit his personality, despite his feigned scorn. So by merely existing, Quail said, feeling a growing pleasure, by simply being alive... I keep Earth safe from alien rule? I'm in effect, then, the most important person on Terra, without lifting a finger? Yes, indeed, sir, the psychiatrist said. And this is bedrock in your psyche. This is a lifelong childhood fantasy, which, without depth and drug therapy, you never would have recalled. But it has always existed in you. It went underneath, but never ceased.
To McLean, who sat intently listening, the senior police official said, Can you implant an extra factual memory pattern that extreme in him? We get handed every possible type of wish fantasy there is, McLean said. Frankly, I've heard a lot worse than this. Certainly we can handle it. Twenty-four hours from now, he won't just wish he'd saved Earth. He'll devoutly believe it really happened. The senior police official said, You can start the job, then. In preparation, we've already once again erased the memory in him of his trip to Mars. Quayle said, What trip to Mars? No one answered him. So reluctantly, he shelved the question. And anyhow, a police vehicle had now put in its appearance. He, McLean, and the senior police officer crowded into it, and presently they were on their way to Chicago and Recall Incorporated. You had better make no errors this time, the police officer said to heavy-set, nervous-looking McLean. I can't see what could go wrong, McLean mumbled, perspiring. This has nothing to do with Mars or Interplan. Single-handedly stopping an invasion of Earth from another star system. He shook his head at that. Wow, what a kid dreams up. And by pious virtue, too, not by force. It's sort of quaint. He dabbed at his forehead with a large linen pocket handkerchief. Nobody said anything. In fact, McLean said, it's touching. But arrogant the police official said starkly, inasmuch as when he dies, the invasion will resume. No wonder he doesn't recall it. It's the most grandiose fantasy I ever ran across. He eyed Quayle with disapproval. And to think we put this man on our payroll. When they reached Recall Incorporated, the receptionist, Shirley, met them breathlessly in the outer office. "'Welcome back, Mr. Quayle,' she fluttered, her melon-shaped breasts, today painted an incandescent orange, bobbing with agitation. "'I'm sorry everything worked out so badly before. I'm sure this time it'll go better.' Still repeatedly dabbing at his shiny forehead with his neatly folded Irish linen handkerchief, McLean said, "'It better.' Moving with rapidity, he rounded up Lowe and Keeler, escorted them and Douglas Quayle to the work area, and then, with Shirley and the senior police officer, returned to his familiar office to wait. "'Do we have a packet made up for this, Mr. McLean?' Shirley asked, bumping against him in her agitation, then coloring modestly. "'I think we do,' he tried to recall, then gave up and consulted the formal chart. A combination, he decided aloud, of packets eighty-one, twenty, and six. From the vault section of the chamber behind his desk, he fished out the appropriate packets, carried them to his desk for inspection. From eighty-one, he explained, a magic healing rod given him the client in question, this time Mr. Quayle, by the race of beings from another system, a token of their gratitude. Does it work? the police officer asked curiously. It did once, McLean explained. 
But he, you see, used it up years ago, healing right and left. Now it's only a memento, but he remembers it working spectacularly. He chuckled, then opened packet 20. Document from the UN Secretary General thanking him for saving Earth. This isn't precisely appropriate, because part of Quail's fantasy is that no one knows of the invasion except himself, but for the sake of verisimilitude, we'll throw it in. He inspected Packet 6, then. What came from this? He couldn't recall, frowning. He dug into the plastic bag as Shirley and the Interplan police officer watched intently. Writing, Shirley said, in a funny language. This tells who they were, McLean said, and where they came from, including a detailed star map logging their flight here and the system of origin. Of course, it's in their script, so he can't read it. But he remembers them reading it to him in his own tongue. He placed the three artifacts in the center of the desk. These should be taken to Quail's Conapt, he said to the police officer so that when he gets home, he'll find them, and it'll confirm his fantasy. S.O.P., Standard Operating Procedure, he chuckled apprehensively, wondering how matters were going with Lowe and Keeler. The intercom buzzed. Mr. McLean, I'm sorry to bother you. It was Lowe's voice. He froze as he recognized it, froze and became mute. But something's come up. Maybe it would be better if you came in here and supervised. Like before, Quail reacted well to the Narcadrine. He's unconscious, relaxed, and receptive. But... McLean sprinted for the work area. On a hygienic bed, Douglas Quail lay breathing slow and regularly, eyes half shut, dimly conscious of those around him. We started interrogating him, Lowe said, white-faced, to find out exactly when to place the fantasy memory of him single-handedly having saved Earth. And, strangely enough, they told me not to tell, Douglas Quail mumbled in a dull, drug-saturated voice. That was the agreement. I wasn't even supposed to remember. But how could I forget an event like that? I guess it would be hard, McLean reflected. But you did. Until now. They even gave me a scroll, Quail mumbled, of gratitude. I have it hidden in my connect. I'll show it to you. To the Interplan officer who had followed after him, McLean said, Well, I offer the suggestion that you better not kill him. If you do, they'll return. They also gave me a magic, invisible, destroying rod, Quail mumbled, eyes totally shut now. That's how I killed that man on Mars you sent me to take out. It's in my drawer, along with the box of Martian mall worms and dried-up plant life. Wordlessly, 
The interplan officer turned and stalked from the work area. I might as well put those packets of proof artifacts away, McLean said to himself resignedly. He walked, step by step, back to his office. Including the citation from the UN Secretary General. After all... The real one probably would not be long in coming. <laughs>